Welcome back to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward, and I don't know if you guys are the same as me, but I'm at this weird, not weird, I'm at the time of year, though, where I'm really trying to like ramp up my training and I'm getting back to being more focused on being an athlete. Um, really, how last summer worked. Last summer, I did that big stage race, and then after that, I kind of took a month off of running kind of rest and recovery um and then sort of ramped it back up but really not all the way back up uh i did the grand traverse in september and then since then it's been it's been the weird thing where you train just to train but you really have no purpose you know what i mean where you're out there like every day you're waking up you're getting your workout in but it's not really purposeful uh and because of that, in November, I ramped my miles up big time over Thanksgiving break because I had the whole entire week off and promptly injured myself like a dummy. <laughs> and I strained my gastroc muscle in my calf and really mostly due to the fact that I increased my increased the load I was putting on my body um, way too fast, way too sharply. Um and now finally, I took a month off. I recovered, didn't run that whole entire month. And now I'm feeling awesome. Like today I went out for a six and a half mile run. I felt great. And part of the reason why I felt great is because I was listening to one of my really good friends, Jake Reed, uh, who's going to be on the podcast today. I was listening to him on another podcast. It was called The Sports Scientist. And it was awesome and hilarious. And as I was listening to him, he's so incredibly smart and he just knows so much about sports science um that it motivated me just hearing him talk about about like hearing him talk about the amount of time your foot is on the ground and how that like if you can decrease that um it's going to make you a better athlete hearing him passionately talk about that really really motivated me um and i had this amazing run it was so good uh (laughs) So anyways, uh, Jake has been on the show before. Uh, he was on episode number 34 of the podcast. And I just, I love talking with him. He's one of my oldest friends. Um, one of the smartest people I know. Uh, he has a master's in health and sports science. And he also has a PhD in sports performance. He's currently a professor at University of Northern Iowa. And when it comes to how the body works, the mechanics of the body, he's the guy I turn to, um, which, <laughs> you know, when I got injured a few months ago, I just remember texting him a bunch, really just looking for validation that I could keep training and him basically being like, yeah, you should probably, if you feel like you should back off, like you probably should. Um, so as I'm ramping it back up, I wanted to talk to Reed for a couple of reasons. Um, Really, the main reason was just to catch up with my buddy. Uh, but also, I wanted to hear he he ran his very first ultra marathon. He ran his first 50K uh, back in October. And if you've listened to the show before, you know I really want people to go out and try a 50K. One, because it's doable. It's doable for anyone out there listening right now. Like any of you guys listening can run a 50K. Really what it comes down to, and and Reed's going to break it down for you, but really it comes down to the amount of time you're willing to put into your training. 
right? If you're willing and you'll, he'll break it down too. He trained for it in three months. He ran three days a week and he was able to get it done and you can too. And I think a 50 K is just such a wonderful way to introduce yourself to these outdoor trail running adventures and really outdoor exploration and seeing and discovering the limits of your body that I think I want that to use this podcast to motivate people to pull the trigger and sign up for their first one. And I mean, if I, I, I'm listening to Jake talk and I'm getting ready to sign up for a 50 K man, and I've done a whole bunch of them at this point. So, uh, I hope you experience that. I hope you learn a lot from him. Um, he's a wonderful teacher. I'm really jealous of all of his students at Northern Iowa because I wish so much from the bottom of my heart that I could be sitting in his class every single day because he has so much that, uh, he is able to teach us. So, all right. Um, you are going to join us in the middle of discussing a YouTube video of professional wrestler, Rick Flair's 400 pound deadlift. Uh, Rick Flair's pretty old. He's in his sixties, I would guess. Um, and he's deadlifting 400 pounds. So let's get right into it. Uh, join the conversation and in progress uh this is the like a bigfoot podcast number 130 with jake reed you're like one of the smartest guys i know uh you're um you know you have your phd in sport performance so i wanted to text you this video of rick flair deadlifting 400 pounds and i just want to like I want to hear a smart person's reaction about this. Wow. Are you watching it? Yeah, I got to watch it again. <laughs> I got to watch um, it. I'll watch it too. All right, what's your initial reaction here? My initial reaction is it's legit. Oh, really? He's got a slight, yeah, he has a slight round in his back, but he's also an old man and it's he doesn't lose it. That's the thing. It's like some people just naturally have a little bit more round. Could be doing a little bit more muscle mass present on the back. Um, so it's, you know, it's, he's got pretty decent, like, positioning, actually. Um, it's, it's, it's good. I mean, for, for what it is, for, like, there's obvious issues with it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there, he, there's a slight rounding in his back. He's bending forward, leaning forward just a little bit too much. But, He's got good control of the bar. It's not swinging. He's not like bent over and half doing it. He's holding his his angles the entire way, and he doesn't lock out. But that's probably because he's an old wrestler, and things hurt when he locks out. So like, <laughs> that's awesome, dude. Honestly. What <laughs> you're t you're changing my mind on this because I watched that and I thought Ric Flair was gonna die right after it. I thought his back was gonna break. <laughs> so. That's a common thing is like with people like those muscles in the back that make it look like because like his lower back look makes it looks like it's a little bit rounded. Right. Yeah. And his upper back does as well slightly. But you have to imagine there's muscle mass there even on him. Like, yeah, he's a muscular is, dude. A lot of it. Yeah. 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 And so that's going to cause an appearance of some rounding. Now, there is a little bit there. Don't get me wrong, but he doesn't let it go. So he's actually holding that position that, okay. the entire time and even when i deadlift it looks like i have a slight round and i'm as tight as i can get and it's fine 
So it's one of those things where, you know, everybody has their own individual nuances with their techniques. And for his, what it comes down to is, is he really bending? Are his positions and his angles really breaking? Like, is he just totally like butt up first and then he goes with his back? You know, it's a little bit like that, but his back stays in the same angle pretty much the whole way and his legs are doing it. And it's like, yeah. So you're saying he's he even though he's rounded, it's consistent and he's not like just like swinging the weight back and forth. Is that oh, what yeah, totally. Okay. Yeah. And the rounding could be due to muscular his muscle mass and just, you know, his natural like just how he is, you know, even if you think of it like getting joint angles and like the biomechanics of his positioning, like he might have to lean forward a little bit more if he has a long torso in order to keep the bar okay. like, away from his knees. Like it's, it's what it's kind of an, which he could compensate by putting his butt down more and standing more upright. But yeah. it's one of those things where it's like, there's nothing really glaring that you can look at and say, Holy crap, it's terrible. Like, yeah. Those, those videos exist in that one. No? Not bad. Like, All right, man. Oh. Dude, yeah. you heard it here first because I was going to be like, I was watching that the other day and I was like, I want to hear Reed's thoughts on this because <laughs> I th- I think it looks like he's about to tear all like every muscle in- fiber in his body. Yeah, but that's what a heavy deadlift always looks like. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Okay. You're selling me. You know, the worst part about the video, though, is what? he didn't go woo right after. Really? So I didn't have the <laughs> audio on, of course, because we're you know yeah. on this and I figured like his mouth, like I saw his mouth and I just figured it was a woo. I got to watch it again. I didn't actually like. So he, I I guess we should have said he's deadlifting 400 pounds also, which is an incredible amount of weight. Oh yeah. He gave it a whoa, you know, gave it a whoa. Yeah. What? I know, man. You never hear Ric Flair going, whoa. Um, Do you remember? So. Jake and I go back like, honestly, man, I was thinking this today. I was like, you're probably one of my oldest friends. Yeah. Was um, grade. yeah so I was thinking it was like you and Mo mm-hmm. to like friends that I'm super close with now. Um, even though we haven't really talked for <laughs> since almost uh, a year, almost a year. Yeah. Other but, than t- random text here. And there. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I was thinking, um, you know, we go way, way back. And so I want to, ask you this what was the worst form in high school weightlifting for football i can't i can't even did go you ever up. see travis stefan trying to do a squat like on max well, out days of uh, yeah but i you know i can't remember it like i got to imagine that you know knowing what i know now um about the field and my experiences and where our coaches yeah. got the education like they went out and got it on their own they tried they, they like legitimately cared um but the stuff that they were getting there there were a lot of pieces that were missing yeah uh but they did at least focus on the techniques that they could um but i can imagine that some of it was pretty bad it was like <laughs> his butt was above his head at one point in a squat <laughs> did he make it he did but and then it would count as his max and i'm like i don't i don't think this should count man you know, I mean, as long as you stand up, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, dude, that's funny. Well, nowadays, what do what do high schools do? Like bigger high school programs, they actually like don't they actually hire someone specifically for their yep. athletic training? Yep. Uh, a few of my students have interviewed for positions at high schools, strength and conditioning coach positions at high schools. Um, 
moreover, it's it's not a lucrative job at all. It's it's a part time gig is what it comes down to. Okay. Um, but they'll hire they'll hire people with master's degrees. Okay. In, in this field, if you don't have a master's degree, you're in, in strength and conditioning anyway. Um, you're not going to make it. You're not going to get hired by anybody. So they'll hire people um, just kind of as a part time. Uh, the better job is actually if you have a PE degree or some sort of teaching degree as and then have the strength and conditioning on top of that. Yeah. That becomes a much bigger sell because then it's okay. We can hire a teacher who can also do this and the teacher gets the stipend and it's it's a win win for everybody. Yeah. But you go to high schools in Texas. They're paying people fifty grand. Dang man! To just do S and C. Yeah. yeah, I feel like we're like right on the like press. Like we're on the border of when high school started doing that. You know. Oh like, yeah, totally. Like our success was, you know, obviously our coaches tactically knew the things that they knew and they were good. But you know, our continued success was that we were one of the earliest ones lifting. Yeah. In the conference in high school, anyway. And that's what made it so we were able to at least develop a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, and it was, you know, required to a degree. So, yeah, man, that's awesome, dude. Well, I just, I kind of want to ask you just, it's interesting. It, it's really interesting to me. You're, since your whole degree is in sports performance and sports, sports science and things like that, but you're also an athlete, like, how do you tie those two together, man? Are you like overanalyzing every single workout? Uh huh. <laughs> it's actually pretty. It's terrible. Um, I I've gotten to the point where I don't even do my own programming. Really? Yep. I, I can't. I, I I think way too much about it. I actually just got an app that's artificial intelligence weightlifting app, and it's it I, I tell it it asks me okay for this exercise how many reps did you can you do for very how, how much weight can you do for six very easy reps i tell it and the rest of it's done really yep i don't want to think about it because i will way over analyze it and i'd rather have a computer that's designed to do that do it for me i'll still program my running actually but any lifting in like that it's not you know it, it's just it just gets cumbersome and on top of that i have online training clients um, cause I do consulting for Renaissance periodization and, uh, diet clients as well. And when you're spending that time for their stuff, you get done with that and you don't want to touch your own. Yeah. You're just, you're done with it and you just want to step away cause your brain's already shot. Yeah. So yeah, it's, I don't do my own. Do you get like decision fatigue where you, you've made so many decisions throughout the day and you finally get to the point where it's your time, your turn to work out and you're like, I just am so tired of making decisions. I probably am not going to make like the healthiest choices here. Uh, yeah, I'll actually, it'll be decision fatigue, but it'll be like way over an analyzing it. Yeah. Or I'll go on the under, I'll just do less than I actually should be. So the workout's actually almost pointless. <laughs> um, that's what's happened in the past, especially once we had our son. Um, but now, especially with that app, it's I, I don't have to think about it. I can yeah. just go and get done and be good. How do you view yourself as an athlete right now? Are you like for me? I'm 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 kind of like in this weird phase where I'm like, I love I like being able to do these cool events just for my own like mental health and you know I like to stay healthy. Um, so there's that aspect where I just like you know I want to do it because it's fun 
And then mm-hmm. I also have the aspect where I'm like, but I kind of do want to compete. Like, I, you know, we have that athletic thing that's been trained into mm-hmm. us through years and years of playing sports where I'm like, I do want to actually compete and I do want to see how good, even if it's just competing against myself. And I'm like, I want to see how good I can do at this. Like, do you have that at all? Or where, it's where are coming you at? back? Yeah. Like, my boy's going on 20 months old and I actually lost a lot of my desire to exercise and train. Um, not when uh, it, it really went down when he was born, just because of time to the time just goes, uh, oh, goes yeah. away. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Even, I'm pretty sure I told you I was like, you're about to somehow you have a baby and you triple your chores. You're like, oh, I don't yeah. get how this equation works, but now I have triple the amount of things to do. Oh yeah, totally. And it's like you know. We were talking about sleep. If it takes him an hour and a half to go to bed, well, that's an hour and a half that you're like committing to be like to with our choice of how we trained him to go to sleep. Like we're involved the entire time until he's asleep. So, but I kind of lost it. I was losing it up to the point that he was born. Actually, I just started to get tired of it. Um, It's coming back now though. And it's mainly because one of the classes I teach, um, one of the points is talking about what happens after you hit 25, 30 years old and you get into the workforce and every, it's like up to 25, 30, everything gets good. And then once you hit 25, 30, everything starts to suck. Like from a data standpoint and from looking at, you know, top down on the United States, that's the way it is. Like lean muscle mass decreases, um, fat mass increases, cardiovascular disease risk increases, like total activity decreases. It's like everything gets worse. But it's primarily because of the choices that we make and how we distribute our time. So now, starting last March especially, uh, I actually switched my stuff up and, like, really focused on competing and just, like, having a goal and being athletic because that is a bit – it was a big part of my identity and I lost it to a degree. Um, And so it's – for me, it's just – if I am able to go out and set a goal and actually like accomplish it, I'm stoked. Yeah. And if I can, and I also, I have a sub goal. Like usually the goal is just finish it. And then after that, it's all right. I, I do have some time things that I would like to make in my runs, especially. And so, you know, um, but it's, you know, that's the competitive thing in me. And, yeah. I, and I actually convinced myself, I was like, you know, I'm never going to be super awesome at anything. Um, from an athletic standpoint, just because of the time I have available and the time I'm willing to commit to it, just it's just not going to happen. But everybody has, in my opinion anyway, which is this is not a scientific opinion. It's like everybody <laughs> has an unlimited amount of crazy that they can tap into. And so the craziest stuff I can do and just, just like people look at you and they're like, what? <laughs> like that's kind of where I get my – I get excited about the stuff that I'm doing. That's awesome, man. I'm typing that in in a limited amount of crazy. (laughs) I love it. Um, yeah, man. Well, it is, it, uh, it's interesting because we are at the age where we're going to have young kids because, you know, there's a lot of like, if we're talking specifically about like endurance racing, right. Or, um, ultra endurance racing, there's a lot of really successful people in their forties and I, mm-hmm. part of me feels like that's because they've passed that point of when their kids were really young and they, you know, like, dude, being on dad mode, that's like the number one thing in my life. Like, that's the most important thing, like hands down, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so if with if that's the most important thing, hands down, you're like, okay, where does my free time fall during the day? Like, where can I possibly work some time in? And then what do I want to do with that time? You know, and like you just said, a lot of people choose to do other activities, which is totally fine. But um, but that's probably what's causing that decrease, right? Oh, totally. I was like, I remember when my boy was an infant. It's like, okay, he goes to sleep and you got a half hour before you would probably normally go to bed. Yeah. And it's like, all right, I can either, I could go work out for a half hour or I could take a little time to decompress or I could go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> Guess what? Working out at that point when you're getting woke, you know, you're going to be woken up in two and a half hours by a crying infant. See you working out. Yeah. I'm going to get an extra half hour of sleep if I can. Yeah, exactly. And. It was actually, I was on one of my long runs, I was listening to your podcast with Pat Anger, and that, it's the same stuff that he was talking about. Yeah. It's like, it's spot on, though. It's like, you got to make that decision. It's like, hey, look, nobody's up at 3 a.m. If that's what it takes, and you can handle it, like, eight, ni- eight 19 months, 20 months in right now, if I set an alarm at 3 a.m., I could probably be up and be good. Yeah. Just because so used to being sleep deprived dude that's it for me i'm like i have to wake up early and i have to do something in the morning first of all just for my mental health and happiness throughout my job as a teacher i'm like if i accomplish something before school i just feel more relaxed oh, um, oh totally but like i i have a coworker. he works out after he puts both his kids to bed and i'm like dude you have the most like discipline out of anybody i know because that's Uh super hard for like i could not do that yep i have a client that trains at like nine o'clock at night from nine to eleven she trains and she just kills it and every time i'm like you are a rock star (laughs) i couldn't do it i couldn't her boys are older she has kids they're older but it's yeah it's like dang well i think if it's it's if people make make it a priority they'll find a way to get it done and they'll find a way to get it done in a way that doesn't interfere with family time or work time or you know yep. all those other hats we have to put on yep which is yep. interesting man so so you kind of like what what drove you to get back in it because i really had you on today because i want to hear about i know you ran a 50k in october and it was mm-hmm. like it was your first 50k ever and you know, people who have listened to the podcast are like, he always brings people on to talk about their first 50Ks. But I'm I'm like, this time, I'm bringing on a scientist to talk about his first 50K. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, so the, the way that that worked out, um, we were at a wedding in San Francisco in July. And it was my wife, myself, her brother, sister, and her mom, um, for her side of the family, like it was her cousin getting married. And so when there, her sister has this goal to finish a marathon in every state in her life. Yeah. And she's, she's sitting on like 13, 14, something along those lines right now. And so we're Katie had said, my wife was like, all right, you're going out, we're going out to California. If you want me to run California with you, we're doing this marathon in California, in San Francisco. Um, when we're out there. And so her sister was like, all right, let's do it. And it, it was a trail trail marathon. And, in in the bay um i can't remember exactly where it was is it across from san francisco like across the bridge yes in like the marin uh, marin county marin yes, headlands yes, yes. yeah that place is supposed yep. to be amazing oh my goodness so we get out there in the morning we've got uh i i was their their driver and i was just gonna go and hang out the entire day 
um, waiting for him because her brother was going to run the 50K. And I was just going to hang out on the beach. And it was like a pebble beach, like super cold water. Yeah. Um, but I was like, this is going to be cool. And so I get there and I just sit there for like three hours. And I'm like, holy crap, what am I doing? I'm sitting here. I could be running right now. <laughs> and so her brother, so my wife and her sister came in. It was a lapped, it was a lapped marathon. They come in at their lap. I'm supporting them. I've got some food, stuff that they may want. I mean, obviously, it was stocked as well. It was a really well-run race. It was a Golden Gate. That's what it was. Okay. Golden Gate uh, Trail Marathon and 50K. And really well-stocked, well-run race. And so they go off on their second lap. And I'm like, I have another probably three and a half hours that I'm waiting. They're going to be waiting. Because they're on track for like a seven-hour finish, six, seven-hour finish. And her brother actually stopped early because he signed up for the 50K just on a whim. Yeah. Like, ah, whatever. He's done many ultras. It's no big deal. And he's like, eh, I'm going to stop at the 30 because I've already seen everything I can see. Because um, the way that the 50 worked was that you ran in a the 13 mile out, the 13 mile loop plus an additional 10K loop. And then you ran the 13 mile loop again. Oh, yeah. That's how, that's so tough like, mentally. Oh yeah. And so he's like, I did it already. Like I saw everything I have no, I'm like, I'm just going to stop. And so he and I are hanging out and we started, we just walked and look overlooking probably one of the most beautiful views I've ever seen. You get to see golden gate, see out into the ocean. And I was just like, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to allow myself to say, Hey, you know what? I can't do this because I'm actually incapable. I'm like not trained for this. I've never done it. I couldn't do have done the 50 K could have done the 10 K, but it was, uh, you know, um, I couldn't have done the marathon. And so I said, after this, and we got on the plane coming home and I signed up for this 50 K in my home or where I'm currently living in October. And so from July to <laughs> October, I essentially trained for 50 K with the only goal. I had two goals. Don't get hurt and finish. <laughs> I, I made it. I finished both goals um, in my training, but it was it's a really short time frame to go from. I had ran a 12 miler in June and hadn't ran in June, in, like during the month of June, hardly maybe yeah. eight total miles. Yeah. To go from that to tra to finishing a 50k and not hating myself, uh, dude, too much anyway. That's all. and you had a really good time if I remember. Nope. Nope. I did not. <laughs> No, it was six hours and 15 minutes. That's a good time, man. I'm telling you. I finished. I was the last male finisher. I, it was slow. <laughs> I'm trying to build to you up, least. man. That's a good time. I think that's Dude, a good time. reality, man. It's honesty. <laughs> I was so slow. It was so bad. But you but finished. My, that was the goal. The goal was to finish. Yeah. My, one of my sub goals was... To you be know, the second the to ultimate, last male. No. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? No, the ultimate was, you know what? If I could finish as a 10-minute average, that would be just absolutely unreal. And it was unreal. Um, it, and But it was just something for me to shoot for in my training. Yeah. Like psychologically to prepare, to prepare myself for it. Um, and it was also just like an in, inexperience in the race itself. And so I ended up training three days a week. Um with two short-ish short runs during the week because I could get an hour workout in yeah. at work. So what's short-ish, like an hour run? Yep. 
Okay. I pretty I pretty much would go initially in order to build up like total miles in the week. I was doing like I think I started off with a three five five. So my three running days was a three mile, a five mile, a five mile, and then I progressively increased those direct uh, distances for the shortish days. Yeah. By I think a mile a week or something along those lines. My long run. I had a plan so that way by the time I hit the 50K, my longest run would have been like 23, 24 miles, something along those lines. I had to change my plan along the way, but this was my initial plan. Yeah. And so, because I didn't want to have a really steep increase in training volume. I wanted to have it be as gradual as I could because once we get a steep increase in training volume, like if you go from five miles to, you know, 40 in a week, you're putting yourself at serious risk of injury. Yeah, man. Just from having a huge shift in volume. That's how I actually, uh, around Thanksgiving, that's how I got injured. Because I went, September, I ran a pretty long race. And then I just totally cut back on like all the miles. And then Thanksgiving break comes around. Now I have all this free time, right? So I'm just like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm just going to ramp it up. And I ramped it up probably like, I don't know, like at least 15 extra miles that week or maybe 20 extra miles. And then the next day I'm like, what is wrong with my leg? And then it took a month to recover from that. So that's like, I mean, dude, it's funny though, because you're like, I trained for a 50 K in like two months. So it's kind of thinking, how do you do it without ramping it up? Like, how can you actually do that while ramping it up gradually? You know what I mean? I I had three months. If I would have had any less, it wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been able to do it. Okay. Yeah. Um, because it was a two-mile increase on the long run each week, I believe is how I had it go. Um, and I had two planned um, like volume reductions in there as a just-in-case if I needed it. Because yeah. what I did on my runs, I, I only did those three days a week. I didn't do any other training because I knew recovery was going to be a huge deal to this. Like With the goal of finishing – I needed to maximize my recovery. Like I'm not trying, I wasn't really trying to hit a time. That's why I only did three days a week. Yeah. And so I tracked my heart rate at every single, um, run and my, what I wanted for my heart rate. And I had my GPS watch. I actually didn't care about the speed. All I cared about was mileage and my heart rate. And I wanted to keep my heart rate within a zone, which was for me at 31, somewhere around a hundred and, 35 to 145 beats a minute pretty low end and so you're looking at like zone two ish maybe where it's pretty much just steady state i'm not touching lactate threshold i'm not getting close to any of that it's just just go for an easy run that was my pace that i was just shooting for to accumulate miles yeah um and what i did for my heart rate i was i knew that i'd be in that realm and so I would just run and I would go on feel and how my heart rate was responding to the run. And that's how I would judge my pacing. And so I would just look at it at the end of every run and say, okay, that I'm showing adaptation, meaning I'm feel I'm feeling my heart rates staying the same, but I'm running faster. Yeah. And then if I ever saw a time where my heart rate was increasing and I was maybe staying the same pace, 
it might raise a warrant red flag is to say, hey, let's check out, like, be mindful of the next run. And if it stays like that, you might want to have a little bit of a recovery, possibly, like reduce that longer run. Or if it's, I get my heart rate just skyrockets and I'm running the same pace, then it's time to do a, like a much more serious recovery because your heart's going to respond to whatever the demand is placed on the body. Like it's going to provide the fluid to get there. And it yeah. has to be able to read everything that's happening to be able to know how much fluid to provide. And so that was my whole theory on my training process. And it worked. It worked yeah. really, really well. Like I had a couple instances where my heart rate wasn't responding the way I wanted. And so I backed off and I just rolled with it like that. And, to, and I did that through about mid-September. Um, and actually, I did RAGBRAI, which bike ride across Iowa in late July, which was a fantastic just training opportunity. Yeah. Honestly, there's just mileage and heart rate that, you know, pretty hot, not super high, but like there for six, seven hours a day. It was, yeah. it was great. Um, if you I avoid did, all the parties for rag ride. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> rag ride is really like each day is like six to seven individual 10 mile rides is all it really is oh yeah that makes sense because yeah. <laughs> you have towns yeah and everyone's stopping there and yep. eating f- eating fried tenderloins <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i hit i did a trail my my wife actually convinced me to do a trail um 25k i think or a, a trail 18 miler in september okay and it was a lapped race Ooh, that's perfect, um, and, man. That's like a perfect training run for that. Oh, it was. And it was my, the mileage was spot on with what I had kind of planned for at that point. Um, it was early, early September, second week, I think. And I go out there and do it and it was hot. It was 90. The sun was just beating down on you. My, I had full leg cramping. Like I was like swinging my legs to try to get done by the end of it. And all I could think of was that, holy crap, I have about a month. And I'm going to run another nine miles on top of this. <laughs> or not nine. It more than that, more man. Than, like a yeah. ten or 12, maybe. Yeah. 13. Almost like, yeah, um, like another half marathon. Yeah, exactly. And I was, holy crap, this isn't good. <laughs> and I knew the weather was an issue. Um, I had hydration and everything with me. Um, I had actually a pretty decent plan, I thought. Um, but the cramping was kind of a concern. Um, but... Why do you think that happened? Um, just uh, electrolyte imbalance or? I think, so I had my electrolytes pretty good, okay. honestly. Um, one thing that uh, the, I need, I'm going to test the next time is magnesium. Okay. Uh, supplementation along with it. Because in the 50K, I had cramping happen as well. And that was 50 degree weather. And I had, I had salt dialed in. I had my fluid intake dialed in. Like the whole thing was dialed in except for that component to it gotcha so and on top of that i mean it's 31 miles and i I had spent three months training for it without a really good recovery period like yeah my training age was super like it, it, it makes sense that i cramped but and so i ended up after my shortish runs during the week like i'd go on tuesday and thursday uh for my short runs and once i hit september they turned into a three and a five miler that was it because my long runs were starting to get so long that I didn't want to take time away from work because I was doing them on a Friday. Okay. And as a professor, like I didn't teach on Friday, I could take the time and devote what I needed to it. And I, got, I left early from home and whatnot. But 
So I did that and I just started accumulating miles and I actually ran my first and I've never ran, had never ran a marathon before. And so the first marathon I ever ran was actually, I, I just left my house and went and ran 26 miles, like fully (laughs) self-supported, which I thought I was like, you know what, if that's going to be my first marathon, that's kind of a cool story is like, I just left and went and ran on gravel roads for 26 miles. That's awesome. And I had to fend off a couple turkeys along the way. (laughs) Not not kidding. They chased me down. (laughs) That's awesome. Back roads, Iowa. How do you Uh, fend off a turkey in the middle of a marathon? What's the strategy? uh, Like kicks, karate chops? What do you got? Like, I I didn't know what to do, honestly. And and I hunt. And I was just like, you are – there's a reason why turkeys – like 75% of all turkeys don't make it to the first year. <laughs> like, they're, they're dumb. <laughs> they are dumb. And so they're running into the middle of the road chasing me. And event, I just kept my pace and I just kept running. And I just kept looking back and they'd like sp- sprint up and try to like catch up to me. And eventually I kind of sped up a little bit. And so, I mean, that, that was it. This like, good motivation, it was, you know, I can't slow down or these turkeys are going to bite me. Exactly. Or spermy. Um, <laughs> so either way, you know, it was, I, tra- I trained for it. I had that uh, marathon that I hit and then we hit race day. Well, how'd you it- feel when you got home from that marathon? Like, I don't know, man. It's just a weird feeling where you just did the hardest thing. You, one of the hardest things you've ever done, especially like as it comes to running, but you did it completely by yourself. You have this thing in the back of your mind, which is probably like, you know, you can quit, you know, like whenever I go out and do my long, the long training run is harder than the race, in my opinion, because the race, you have all this extra motivation, you know, you have other people doing it. You, it's an event you signed up for months and months ago and all that stuff, you know, there's all the, and you get the finish line beer and all that stuff. Right. But the long run is you leaving your house, you know, some like, and being like, I'm going to commit like three to four hours to this and then getting home and you're just like, you come home and like sit down and no one, no one cared. You know, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh yeah. I enjoyed it. Honestly, I, I designed my route so that it was just one big loop. And so once I hit to, once I hit 13 miles, that's awesome. like, I'm committed right now. Like, <laughs> it's, it's not going to get shorter. Yeah. And my wife was at work. I had my phone. I was listening to podcasts the whole way. So I was like, this is it. Yeah. There's no turning, literally no turning back. Like I can turn back and I'm just going to finish a marathon. So that's awesome. Um, That's, I mean, that's, that's necessary, right? For that kind of mental challenge, right? Where you have, where once you're like, I'm going to put myself into this and there's no backing out because I like legitimately can't back out. Yeah. For me, it was pretty necessary like i've never pulled out of a race or anything along those lines yeah training run um but it was one of those things where it's like i didn't know how i was going to respond once i hit 22 23 miles 24 miles and so i didn't want that to get nervous and be like oh should i turn around Eh, eh." i don't know Just, just do it yeah like and so yeah, that's, I mean, that's essentially what it was. And the race itself was, it was unfortunate in that we had flooding and it was supposed to be just two laps on trails, like river trails. 
it was all flooded. So they had to do a last minute change of route. And it not only was a last minute change of route, I have a feeling some people dropped out because there's only 27 people doing it. And so it ended up being, it was about a, it was nine miles to get to a, a park where okay. you could do trail running, but it was all gravel otherwise. And it was essentially three miles of taking a number of rights to get on this <laughs> six mile trek of Iowa rolling hills gravel. It's rolling hills, meaning that you can almost see for six miles. That's what it feels like anyway. And so you do this and you get out there, you get to the, um, uh, to where the trail is and you run two, what was it? Uh, six mile laps, I think. Yeah. Two, six mile laps and or six and a half mile laps. And it was, it was awesome. Cause it was like, it was so windy because you'd be going and running and be like, I didn't, haven't seen you in the last hour and a half. And they're like, <laughs> you know, 20 yards to your right. Yeah. And then they disappear. And so it was really interesting mind game. And so I finished the first lap and I'm feeling amazing absolutely stoked i think i was actually hitting the times that i wanted to hit i was ready and and i had actually once i got closer to the race i was like you know what 10 is a really ridiculous goal let's just shoot for like an 11 or 12 yeah uh, and i was spot on with that goal and then my uh, wife and boy were at the halfway point to cheer me on oh that's awesome I stopped i had some food and i got up and i was like all right let's go get in there and i get about a mile into it and i start to realize that Oh, it's going down quick, <laughs> real quick. And so I did, you know, I, I ran it the best I could. And then I get out on the, get out of the trail, get on the six mile stretch where you can see forever. And I see no one at all. It's like emptiness. There was a little speck of a person initially, and that was it. <laughs> and so at that point, it was literally me and me, myself, and I. And even the aid stations weren't manned because all of their volunteer work was put into people like manning the roads. Oh, they, didn't, okay. they didn't plan for it from the flooding standpoint. Yeah. So they had to put people on the roads to be able to, you know, make sure we didn't get hit. Or at least to let us know that hey, there's a car coming. And so it was the headwind, the strong enough headwind to be annoying on the way back. The cramping came up and it just became a really big mind game. And that's not what I expected. It's, I was not planning on that kind of a mind of a mind game. And eventually it was, you know, I got over it. Well, what, what was the mind game? It. So to try to describe for someone, cause I think most people who have ran an ultra or some sort of long endurance race, like everyone's been there, you know, but can yeah. you try to like, try to explain what it felt like for the people who haven't done that? So, the at like literally what it was was you're going up and down gravel hills um you're sitting at a point where you're 23 ish miles 24 miles in and you're all of your the all of the food you've had like you're running low on glycogen as it is like stored sugar in your muscles there's that potential to hit the wall that's in the back of your head where you might be that person that's now crawling there's there was cramping starting to set into my quads and I had this headwind that no matter, as soon as my cramping stopped, this headwind comes and smacks me in the face. It's like, ha, here I am. And so you have what feels like everything going against you to finish this. There's nobody here to cheer you on. I didn't have headphones or music in. It was just me and the world. 
And for somebody that's not used to the feeling that you could, you could legitimately fail. And if you fail, it's like, if you, if you don't like to fail, that's a really hard thing to comprehend and to get through. And so you just get to the point, like for me, it was, I've just got to do it. Like I'm, I didn't, I don't have this kind of mental, like suck it up type of attitude. It's just, just do it. It's there, accept it and run. And so what I ended up having to do was I did a mailbox to mailbox was my, and my final approach is uh, up until like the last three miles. And then I could actually get some like, you have it. We have more motivation for the last three miles too. Cause you're like, I'm almost done. Exactly. Cause I was, I was out of the straight at that point and it wasn't as windy cause I had some tree cover. Yeah. And so it was just, you know, that six mile straight was just totally demoralizing cause everything started to feel like it was breaking. Yeah. Like my, my quads were starting to stop. I could feel the cramps coming in. They were coming in more frequently cause I'd stop and walk. And then as soon as the cramp go away, I'd go and run. And that just kept getting becoming more and more frequent. <laughs> yeah. And so it was a, you know, psychologically it's hard when you've never dealt with it before. That kind of, the, just the, the physical difficulty. Because I knew I could do it. Yeah. But my body was starting to say, is like, hey, three months isn't that long. <laughs> that little sneaking thought gets in there, right? And you're oh, like, yeah, well, sure. you know, I only trained for three months. And then you have to like quiet that voice. We're like, no, get away. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And it's one of those things too. Is like I was nearing the um, cutoff. Oh, yeah. And the that's tough too. Hours. Yeah. I would rather like roll my ankle and be physically incapable of finishing than be pulled off the course from a cutoff. Yeah. And so when I was starting to run 12, 13 minute miles at mile 23, 24, oh crap, that got nerve wracking because I, I can do the math <laughs> and it's not looking good. Yeah. So that was, you know, you add all of it together and it was, you know, it was a really interesting experience and i actually hadn't planned on doing another one ever i was like you know what i knocked it off the list i'm good i hit my i checked my box of crazy and <laughs> so i'm not going to do another one and then we found another one that i'm actually really excited for in october this coming yeah, fall man. and i'm going to train for a little longer than three months for yeah. it <laughs> well see i it's that that's the moment what you just described that's why i like to do them because i like reminding myself periodically that I'm tough enough to handle a situation like that where everything's going wrong and it's difficult and you're cramping up and you're like, all, all I want to do is be at the end eating a pizza right now. And, mm -hmm. and, but you find a way to get through it. I think that right there is, is the thing that most ultra runners and people who do this, like that's what we crave because I don't know. It's just this really good reminder in a life that sometimes can be like, dude, it can be super cozy. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I can wake up in my nice warm bed, drink a cup of coffee, get in my nice warm car, go to work, you know, and come mm -hmm. home and sit on my couch and I can like watch Netflix and entertain myself all day long. And it could be the easiest life of all time. But I like to remind myself like, Hey, when things get tough, like you have this inner toughness that you can like pull from. Yep. And you know, that's a really good point. Like for me, kind of a deeper 
reason I did it other than the fact that I didn't want to be left out of running anymore with my family um, was, you know, when, when my son was born, it was like I kind of lost that that toughness in that, you know, I just accepted that I'm tired. I'm going to stop. I'm not going to do these things like my identity. I allowed it to change. And that I, the the 50K was an attempt for me to get it back. Because, you know, you, you don't finish those things and at the end of it say, all right, I'm just going to accept that I'm going to be tired. I'm just going to, like, not do these things. It's, okay, I know when I'm going to be tired, so now I'm going to plan so that I don't have to worry about that. And if it does happen, I'm still going to do it anyway. Yeah. And that was probably the biggest thing for me was to, like, reclaim a part of who I am because I was so happy with being comfortable. Yeah. Cause I, I like raising a kid is ridiculously hard <laughs> and uh it was you know even as hard as you think it is going into it and you not say oh yeah i know it's gonna be hard i'm ready like bull <laughs> it was a reality check for me and that 50k was really a, a time for me to like kind of get back to who i was yeah um which it's been you know i've been really happy i did it as much as parts of it sucked <laughs> yeah man well and it's you know, the whole like having kid is, is incredibly hard and it's just, it's so worth it though. I guess we should say too. Oh, yeah. like it's the hardest thing. It's the most tiring. You have a whole bunch of chores and yet there's like a moment at least once, maybe twice a week for me where I'm like, can life get any better than this? Like, I just like my kids do something really cute or really sweet. And I'm like, I don't think it can get better. And then the next week they do something better. And I'm like, Wow this is totally worth it. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. But no, I think that's an absolute fact. Yeah. Not, but I think for me anyways, running these difficult races, it allows me to bring something back to my regular life as well. Like now if my kids upset and like, I don't, it teaches you almost to be okay with kind of like going with the flow, kind of being like, okay, I can't control every variable here. Um, because during the race you learned that, but then you can apply it back at home because dude, raising a kid, like you're not going to control a lot of the variables that are, you know, you have an idea of expectations like this day is going to go like this. And then, you know, they get a fever at daycare and you're like, well, here we go. (laughs) Yep. And it makes you, it makes you less grumpy about that because you kind of just like accept how life is going to go. Yeah. And that's, so true you know it's it's funny like in physiology we have this thing called the uh, the sad principle it's uh, specific adaptations to imposed demands um and it's used to describe how our body responds to a training stimulus like if i train it to go and do long distance running and i'm not training you know like my training i didn't run very fast i just went out and did it I'm not going to get faster doing that. Like from an extreme standpoint, I'm not, I have to be able to, I have to run faster to get faster. Um, but it applies to that said principle applies to, you know, just, just life in general. Like when we put place more demands on ourselves, we're able to then cope better when other kind of awkward things yeah. pop up. That makes sense, man. Like you are it, as it's just funny. You do prove to yourself like oh, I can handle a lot more than I thought mm-hmm. I could, you know, mm-hmm. which is cool. Um, dude, so speaking of physiology, after doing this, like, did you kind of break it down 
from like a scientific perspective where you kind of like, like, I guess I'm curious, what factors do you think play the biggest role in endurance and like in being successful at like a 50 K for example, like, yeah. Um, it's interesting you ask that. So there is probably my favorite research study of all time was released last year as a case study. And the interesting thing about case studies is that they're usually done in very unique individuals, like the world's best type of thing. Um, and the results are never meant to be like generalizable to a population. Um, it's just mainly a describing, you know, what happened in this extremely unique case. Um, it was on the world's best female cross-country skier. And she's hands down the world's best. Just absolutely destroyed everybody, winning tons of medals. But the title of the article is The Training Characteristics of the World's Best Female Cross-Country Skier. And cross-country skiing is pro in, from an oxygen consumption standpoint, from like the aerobic metabolism, is one of the high, is the highest you can get because you're using the whole body to do it not just your legs it's your legs and your arms so in reading it it was 90 percent of her training i want to say was long slow distance work yeah and for me it's just kind of it just made it and it made a ton of sense like it's it supports all everything that i've taught and learned um and been taught and learned that if you want to get better at it, you just got to go and do it. And that's really what it comes down to. Because on top of that, this long distance training, when you're talking about 50Ks and the like, you have to be able to build, like in order to build a foundation, like the mitochondrial density, like the mitochondria are what use oxygen to create ATP. Well, when you deplete ATP, the mitochondria then receive a signal. They're like, hey, I need to be, I need either more of me or I need bigger ones of me. And that's going to allow your body to use more oxygen to be able to allow you to go longer and harder. We're going to have other adaptations that occur physiologically just from this long, slow distance stuff that's going to allow us to do better. Now, when you just to be able to finish the race, I should say, but if you want to be faster, you have to then train faster. Well, the problem with training fast is, is it takes more time to recover because there's it's a higher intense component to it. And so there's this relationship between, okay, we have to build the foundation to get these aerobic adaptations that we're looking for. And that's where the big bolus of training goes, like with this cross-country skier. And then we have to spend some time doing things like resistance training. And resistance training in endurance athletes is incredibly important, like real resistance training, squatting, deadlifting, that kind of stuff. Um, doing powerful movements, ballistic stuff, because it can reduce ground contact time. Less time on the ground means that you're spending less energy. It's like you're more efficient when you move. You could hold your positions longer through resistance training, but it doesn't need to take a whole lot of time. Uh, on top of that, you have things like lactate threshold training, where you're telling, where you're putting your body at a state at which it's using lactate, which is um, a byproduct of the breakdown of carbohydrates for energy um, to create new energy. And the lactate threshold is kind of our, considered our maximum sustainable race pace. And if you can enhance that, you can run faster and longer. And so it becomes really beneficial in that you have this kind of balance between I'm able to do the long distance stuff, but I need if I need to tap into high speed, especially in 50Ks, I yeah. can if I need to. 
Um, now, with a 50K, you're not going to be running at lactate threshold. You're just, you're just not. If like, you're running at lactate threshold, you're in big trouble. <laughs> yeah. Like, you can sustain it. Like, the the um, you can sustain lactate threshold for, like, an hour or yeah. so. Like, there's an interesting, um, like, the world's hardest bike ride, I think, is what it's called. But it's, like, it's a 60-minute I just read wow. about this, man. Have you read the book it's Endure nuts. by uh, Alex Hutchinson? No, I actually listened to a podcast about the race, though, and about how the female, the female that just did it and was like her mental, um, how she got over it and got through it. Because it's incredibly painful from what they It's described. Supposedly, that is the absolute hardest endurance thing you can do is just get yeah. on a bike and go as hard as you can for an hour. Yep. Whoa. And sustain it. Yeah. 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 It's absolutely nuts. But like, that's it. You get an hour at lactate threshold. You do a 50K, you're not doing it. But you hit a 50K, you might hit a, a couple hills along the way. You're probably going to. You're going to have some areas where you have an increased demand of energy that the aerobic system just can't keep up with. Because the aerobic system, the use of oxygen takes a long time to create energy from it. And so being able to tap into those carbohydrate stores and having a decent lactate threshold can push you up the hills, maintaining your pace that you were holding. And then you hit the top of the hill, you were able to run down it probably a little faster, but then you get back into the aerobic realm that the um, lactate can kind of reprocess. It can make new ATP and be ready to go again. It's almost like a booster when you're talking about like long distance running. It's there when we need it in order to sustain our pace. And so what you're saying is doing slow and steady and long is really important. But if that's the only thing you're doing, you're missing out on that lactate threshold, like pushing that lactate threshold. A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. So what would you recommend to kind of increase, uh, be able to increase that? Lactate threshold? Yeah. Uh, well, you have to get there and pretty difficult to get there oh man and i gotta say this too as an endurance athlete it sucks man i i so we just bought a peloton here i'll show it to you peloton bike and dude those spin classes i'm like out of breath you know you're out of breath and i'm like dude i am not okay with being out of breath right now (laughs) (laughs) and i know it's good for me but you know it's kind of one of those things where i'm like man i this is really uncomfortable because i'm not used to this you know Mm-hmm. And that's one thing with lactate threshold training is it's uncomfortable. And for some, they're just, they're just not used to it. And, but like there, there's multiple ways to go about it. Um, usually the way it is, uh, you, you pretty much just want to find a pace that is quite difficult to sustain. And, uh, I, I want to say you need to test it honestly. Yeah. Um, through some sort of process, whether, you know, if you're super serious about it, go to university and get your lactate threshold tested. It's going to cost, yeah, but it's going to be beneficial um, for you and your training planning. But otherwise, doing repeated intervals of pretty high-intensity sprinting, it's going to get the job done. Yeah. Honestly, you're not going to know your lactate threshold and it's going to be something where, you know, hey, I might be there. I might not be there, but you're going to create it. And so by doing repeated 200s, 400s, 800s, repeated uh, miles, even um, miles is kind of putting it on the stretch a little bit. But 
you know, you get into anything that's like a two to a, uh, anything less than two minutes, maybe up to three, four, like sustained interval, and then a recovery period to allow yourself to get recovery. So that way you can get close to repeating that same velocity for that period of time and just repeat it. Yeah. That's going to help enhance your lactate threshold because the whole goal is to push to create lactate which means we have to be running at pretty hot, pretty fast paces, honestly. If you could think of it as the maximum sustainable race pace, if you're doing a 5K or something along those lines, like that maximal sustainable race pace is probably going to be close to your lactate threshold. Um, and so, you know, try to hit it and continually hit it. Okay. But it's also going to be race dependent. I mean, there, there's so much that goes into it. It's just... If you run hard, simply put, if you run hard and you recover enough that you can kind of run that same pace again and you just repeat it until your times fall off, yeah. you'll, get, you'll still get the job done. That's awesome, man. So after doing this race, how much how much of joint – how do I want to put this? Like joint health, I guess? Because I always tell people for a 50K, time on your feet is important because your feet have to get used to – being on your feet you know your feet have to get used to like six hours of exercise you know yep that's oh that's an absolute fact i was even i was talking to my brother-in-law about it because he's done a lot more than i have um because even as you know uh sport like with my degrees and everything like endurance isn't my like my full the realm where i gained most of my knowledge my realm was strength conditioning and athlete monitoring and I just happened to self-teach myself endurance stuff along the way just because I really enjoy it. Yeah. Um, but um, with joint health, and I talking to my brother-in-law, he's like, just time. Just yeah. go and run. If you know you're going to be on the road for seven hours, just go and run for seven hours. Yeah. Or six hours or five hours or whatever it is. Who cares what, how long you go? Just do it. Now, the key with joints especially is that you don't have that huge ramp. Like, oh, yeah. As soon as you increase your speed, like – going from 10 miles to 50 in a week it doesn't matter what you do your joints are going to be shot like they have to have that they have to feel it even my joints my hips my knees by the time i was done with that 50k they were hurting they were screaming yeah and that was because my training age isn't so high and my body just wasn't used to that mileage and so you know over time it'll get better but it's just one of those things where control how quickly you go up and you'll be all right yeah yeah man what about um like last kind of idea here with this what about like mobility or flexibility because dude it's one of those things and i'm sure i kind of wanted to hear your thoughts on like junk science you know where you'll read you can read a headline and it'll be like flexibility terrible for runners and then the next day there'll be a headline that's like flexibility great for runners and i'm just like what is it man and all i know from my experience is at the end of some of these races my range of motion for my like my hips my inner my groin is so limited that i'm running (laughs) so incredibly slow because i like legitimately just cannot stretch my legs far enough yeah so with any type of flexibility you need to be flexible and mobile enough for whatever you're doing. Okay. So in other words, if 
say if say you have tight hip flexors and that's not allowing full extension of your leg in your running form in your technique that is going to cause some issues along the way and you should probably train or like stretch your hip flexors and allow them to like you know be longer so that way you can maintain you can have that full range of motion but spending 20 40 minutes a day on flexibility you see it in all sports it's a waste of time yeah truthfully told uh it, it is an absolute waste of time not necessarily flexibility but the mobility stuff doesn't it's just it's not worth it like true flexibility training if you really want to become flexible you have to do it a lot like sitting watching tv in the middle of once commercials come on if you actually have tv with commercials still <laughs> like then you flat then then you stretch and you just do it all the time like 15 minutes a day isn't going to be enough yeah you really want to stretch the muscle like you have to do more of it and on top of that if you have tight hip flexors or something along those lines you should probably look at okay is is it a flexibility issue or is it because maybe my running technique sucks yeah maybe my shoes are off a little bit Maybe I've increased my volume too much and that I can't hold my positions like I'm, I haven't recovered. And so now I can't hold my positions long enough and I'm taxing my musculature in different ways that it wasn't used to. And that's what's causing what feels like pain. So like it's a lot more than just like stretching your good. Yeah. No, there, there's so much that goes into it. Like for me, it's, you know, be – be flexible enough to do the things you need to do. Hypermobile is not going to help you. It actually might increase the risk of injury, honestly. Because it might change your form, right? It might change your form, but also let's say you're on a trail and you hit a rock and you have to catch yourself and your body gets put into this extreme range of motion that you don't have the strength to be able to control. And now you're in this extreme range of motion because you were able to get there, but you can't withstand it and then something breaks i gotcha yeah i see what you're saying so so you're kind of saying like because you are more mobile but you're not strong in that position you hit a rock and then you're in that position now you have to like try to hold yourself in it and then you can throw something off is that right potentially yeah if you get into that extreme range of motion yeah yeah okay so you know mobility is being a being at able to attain the ranges of motion that you need for whatever endeavor you're choosing to go through okay and i think by doing that endeavor you gain some of that range i mean you gain a lot of that range of motion anyways because you're doing it yeah like from resistance training like i know people love rolling out doing all that kind of stuff well our a our tissues can handle a lot more pressure than you sitting on a lacrosse ball a lot more. Or Have you ever used one of those rollerblade ball on it? Yeah. What about the more like the rollerblade ones? Have you ever done that? They're all they're, okay. If you really want to do actual damage to your tissues, you should take that skill saw that's got the little <laughs> rubber ball on it, take the rubber ball off, and put a blade on it and put that on your leg. <laughs> That'll actually do something. <laughs> like those types of things exist in a realm of placebos, actually, okay. where you know what? They might do something. Um, it's probably not what we think it's doing, but Hey, if somebody believes it and it's working, who are we to say that, you know what? Yeah. It's not exactly the greatest idea in the world, but 
you know, I don't like to live on relying on placebos. <laughs> yeah, me neither, um, man. I'm totally with you. I wish I could where I'm like, I wish I could totally just buy into a lot of this stuff and oh, have yeah, the placebo effect work, work. But like, I just can't. That's not how my brain right. works. No, not at all. And so, you know, it's like with lifting, everybody, people spend 45 minutes rolling out or even 15 minutes rolling out. And I had a student once ask me about it. He's like, I need that to be able to get the full stretch. I was like, no, you don't. Like if you, you, you can do a bench and it can touch your chest and you can go up and you can do a full squat. Guess what? You're good. Yeah. Or even working toward a full squat. Guess what? That's going to enhance your range of motion. Because you're working it towards six it. months to get there. That makes exactly. sense. Yeah. And you're doing it while you're working out. Yeah. And so like even for runners, you know, that's full squat, not 100% super necessary, but like having some range of motion and being able to squat down and up is going to be beneficial. Yeah. So it's it's a time thing, like that makes sense, man. Small amounts of time, am I going? I'm going to weigh out. What's the biggest bang for my buck? Biggest magnitude effect. Mobility work isn't there. Yeah, that's not it. So I'm going to manipulate my training volumes to make sure that I can get there. Now, higher level people, elite levels, might be a different story. Yeah, honestly, yeah. it might. But they're also able to spend more time devoted to that, and they have other people there to help support them in that process. That makes sense, man. I was thinking too. I mean, trail running you are becoming more mobile in these other ways versus road running because you know you're having to move your body in all sorts of different ways here because your your feet are landing on these like awkward surfaces and things like mm -hmm. that so you're yep. actually you're saying you're actually building the mobility doing that which makes yep. perfect sense man but yep. i and then i came up with a theory today on my run um and you can tell me if this is a good theory okay this is, I think you can measure an athlete by how they wipe out. So I was running today and it was in snow and there was ice underneath. And like, as I was going along, I tried to turn and like, I just did like a side thing. Right. And I just slammed right on my knee, but I like landed in like a break dance position, you know? <laughs> so I was like, I think if you're an athlete, you're going to be able to wipe out a lot better. And I was like, I'm going to run this by Reed. <laughs> um, I would say that that you're by running as much as you do outside in that weather, you've become used to those sorts of deviations from yeah. your center of mass. And you've learned how to um, like your, your proprioception is probably quite high and you've learned how to quickly uh, manipulate your body to make sure that you don't get hurt. <laughs> so if an athlete is somebody that does something repeatedly and a lot, well then yeah. But like otherwise, you know, I, I've tripped over cracks in the sidewalk before on my runs. I think everybody <laughs> has at some point, right? And you don't fall too gracefully there. Um, That's a good. So point. I think it just comes down to experience. Like the more <laughs> you do, the more you're going to, um, you know, the more you're going to understand how to handle it. Yeah. And. If that means that you fall into a breakdance pose, hey. Hey, man. Awesome. More power to you, right? Yep. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, Reed, dude, you're like one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. So I know I think, oh, I know it goes without saying to you, but you definitely are. So I really appreciate, I appreciate you, brother. It. I feel the same way about you, man. Yeah, man. I read that when you, when you posted that you're going to do uh, another 50K in October, 
I was so pumped because I'm like, he's going to get, I hope he becomes hooked, first of all. But second of all, I was kind of like jealous. I'm like, I want to go out and run that race with him. I think that'd be super fun. But in Wisconsin, man, it might be by your dad. Oh, really? No way. All right, man. Dude, all right. I'll keep it in mind. <laughs> look at look into it. Yeah. All right, man. Well, we'll uh, we'll have to get you back on the podcast someday because you just gave us like an hour of more smartness than I I have throughout like the first 129 episodes. So, <laughs> well, I'd be happy to come on and share what I can about a few things that I know some stuff about. <laughs> Sounds good, brother. All right, see you later. All right, that'll wrap up this week's show. Uh, Jake Reed, man, thank you so much for coming on the show. Love you like a brother. Uh, you're one of the absolute hardest working people I've ever met in my whole entire life. And you're just an awesome, awesome dude, man. So thank you. I really appreciate it so, so, so much. Um, and I hope you guys out there listening, I hope you appreciated Jake sharing his stories uh, and his knowledge, but his story of his 50K, because I think it's something we can relate to um, because all of us lead busy lives. So, you know, some of us out there, we're parents. Some of us are really into our jobs. Uh, we have all of these other parts of our life, all these other aspects of our life, which are really good things. Don't get me wrong, but I think there is something to be said about rediscovering your athleticism and really trying to do something that is out there for you. Uh, my absolute favorite part of this podcast was when Reed says everyone has an unlimited amount of crazy and we do, we all do, but some of us choose not to tap into that potential, right? So you, you all out there right now, trust me, you all have the potential to do something that right now you're thinking sounds completely crazy. Something that sounds so intimidating. You're like, you know, you heard about, maybe it's something you've heard of where you're thinking like, oh man, I heard about this event, but that sounds crazy, man. Like I would never be able to do that. You You are able to, trust me. And that's why I think signing up for these endurance things whether it's a half marathon whether it's a 50k these are just such great introductions to that side of your soul and that side of your of your brain you know these introductions of events that are going to basically show you that you have so much untapped potential that you never even knew you had um and that's why I think it's important to share, you know, the everyday regular guy going out, taking on a 50K. And if you've never been to, to Iowa on a gravel road, and if you've never done rolling hills, that is so incredibly taxing. It's super hard physically because you're constantly going up and down. But mentally, too, like he's saying he could th thinks he could see six miles ahead of him. He's not joking, man. You can see a long, long, long ways. And when you're on a road that's seemingly never ending, just going straight, and you're not with anyone else, and you're stuck there with your own brain, that's a moment where you're going to realize the amount of potential you have. Because that's a moment where you're really going to be uncomfortable. And by being uncomfortable, you're going to grow 
in so many areas of your life and forcing yourself to go through that, right? Like like I said, most of us I I dude, I could li- I could wake up and be comfortable my whole entire day. And I actively choose not to because I've seen the benefits is brought into my life. Um and it's brought into all all areas of my life, not just like physically. Like obviously physically, yeah, you're going to get in better shape, but emotionally, right? I'm I'm I feel when I'm doing things that are challenging or training for a race that I'm scared of. I actually feel calmer in all the other areas of my life because I'm like, well, like it things roll off me easier, if that makes sense. Whereas something that is a stressful situation, I'm able to handle it in a much more kind of like stoic way where it's kind of the situation appears to you as all right, what's out of my control here and what's in my control? And you're able to more calmly and more emotionless-lessly handle these potentially like challenging situations in your life. And I think it's super important for that. So if you've listened this far and you haven't already signed up for a 50K, what are you doing? Come on, man. <laughs> They're all around now. You got 50Ks everywhere. So highly recommend it. Uh, train in a smart way, just like Reed said. Um, build up that load gradually, and you'll get there, man. You'll get there. You'll go through some hard stuff. Don't line up at the start line thinking, this is going to be a walk in the park, right? Line up at the start starting line expecting the unexpected, expecting for at some point all the wheels to fall off this bus and have a moment where you're really going to have to push through. But all right. Well, on that note, we'll leave you guys till next week. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, if you enjoyed that one, check out uh, Reed's original one, number 34. The guy's so knowledgeable in sports science. I could ask him questions all day. All right. Talk to you later.